Curry working on Aldridge, takes another three. Why not? You're Stephen Curry. The laws of humankind do not apply. 104 to 80, and the crowd roaring over another Curry three. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Welcome back to the Warriors Podcast. I'm Tim Roy. Glad you're with us. Yeah, we've got a great conversation for you today. This is really, really fun. Always great to talk with Marcus Thompson of The Athletic. He's written a new book called Dynasties, The Ten Dynasties That Changed the NBA Forever. Uh, we're going to get into that, get into the Warriors, get into the history of the game. Uh, but th- there's a lot to talk about. This Warriors season is remarkable. 15-2. and 15-2. and two. That's the Warriors' record at the time of this taping, and they're coming off that 3-1 and one road trip, that dominating win against Brooklyn, which I thought kind of was a, a, a flare set up to the rest of the association that, yeah, this Warriors team is for real. This is not a mirage. And then the win in Detroit, I thought, was great because a, a whole bunch of guys got a chance to put their stamp on it who normally would not be able to. You know, no Steph, no Draymond, no Andre, no Otto. And yet the Warriors behind Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, Chris Chioza, you know, a cast of thousands, if you will, uh, you know, they rally for that victory. I thought that was really, really cool. And I thought that was one of the better wins uh, that they've had uh, this season. A couple of games at home this week on the Thanksgiving week and, and uh, then uh, back on the road for two. Two very big games, by the way. The L.A. Clippers had the fourth-best record in the West, and the Phoenix Suns are on an incredible winning streak. So those two road games next week are going to be huge. But before that, Philly comes to town, the Ben Simmons-less Sixers, and then the Portland Trailblazers, who are not off to the kind of start they would have liked. They're a game above five hundred, right in the middle of the pack of the West. Right now in the Western Conference on the day of this taping, you, know, you have about six, seven teams all within a couple of games of each other, you know, from the number 10 spot to the number 5 spot. So it, it's sizing up to be one heck of a race, I think, uh, down at the bottom end of the Western bracket. But uh, I, I just really believe the, the Warriors right now are in a really good spot. They're awaiting the return of James Wiseman and Clay Thompson. And I think that's going to be uh, remarkable to see how those guys fit in. And, and, you know, the ceiling for this team, this team still hasn't played their best. And so that's a really good sign. They're playing, they're playing really well. But I think there is improvement there. There, there. there is a way to get a little bit better, and I think Wiseman and Clay will help them make that kind of leap. Well, for many years, Marcus Thompson was on the beat. You know, he was on the beat with the Bay Area News Group and the Oakland Trib and, and just, you know, writing about the Warriors and the NBA. He's a real student of the game. He understands the game, and, and he has a real value of the history of the game, which is one reason why I really, really like talking with him because, uh, as you, you might have ascertained by this point, that uh, I, I do have a little sense of the history of the NBA, and I, I love talking about the history of the NBA. But we're going to talk about the Warriors and where they stand and, and you know where Marcus sees them fitting in, and a little bit behind the curtain, if you will, on Steph Curry and Draymond Green. So I hope you enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun, our conversation with Marcus Thompson. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for your time. It's always uh, great to talk. We don't get the chance really to sit down and talk all that much anymore because of your your job, my job, and, and our, our inherent schedules. So I'm kind of curious to, to see where you're at 
with the dub so far this year. You know, it's it's you know, part of me is is really optimistic, but then there's that NBA caution flag that always comes up that you know that, you know, an injury here, something goes wrong there and things kind of can can go south on you really quickly. So so where are you right now with this Warrior squad? I'm still like in a state of shock. Like, <laughs> I can't believe they're this good, this fast. Like, you know, of all the scenarios that could have happened, I didn't, 15 and 2 wasn't it, right? Like, uh, like blasting teams to start top rated defense uh, for the first month of the season. I, I just didn't see that. Steph being MVP, you can see it, right? Even Draymond right. playing like defensive player of the year, you can see that. But all of these new pieces, Working so well, clicking so well off the bat. Um, defensively, them being so good, despite leaning heavily towards shooting and offense in the offseason. Like I, I, I didn't see that. I, I didn't. I didn't think them being this good was even possible until Clay returned. So yeah, I'm still kind of jarred by it all. Uh, I've been, I've been in denial the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. The the one that got me was was the the rebounding numbers. You know, they haven't really rebounded this well since maybe when Mark Jackson was was head coach. Um, you know, the, the it's it's so funny that they made a couple of moves and they bring in a couple of veterans. And I think what they really did well, what they really you know excelled at, was not just picking guys that you know like Otto Porter who needs a bounce back year and you know he needs a place to to land and and to get his NBA groove back but but also guys that fit players that fit what they do and and you know maybe you know hanging on to Gary Payton the second cuz he really gives them a you know a unique skill set something they don't have with the rest of the crew i i think they've really done a nice job of finding players that fit how they need to play around Steph Curry and it wasn't a luxury they had, to be fair to them, right? Like, you know, the whole D'Angelo Russell situation was a move out of desperation. It was like, well, what can you get well, now that KD's gone? And that was available. Um, you know, even like Kelly Oubre, after Clay got hurt, it was like, yo, what can you get? And, and he was available. So these ended up being pieces that, you know, you just, you got them and you had to make it work. Uh, you know, even like Kent Bazemore and Brad Wanamaker, like those weren't the first choices. That's what was left over after some other guys had turned them down. So they hadn't they hadn't been in a situation where they could kind of go this way. But I do also think the way Steph played last year and how dominant he looked made him say, "All right, let's make him the epicenter." Like it's less about the system and about the talent of the guys around him but more about how they interact with Steph. And I, and I do think Steph sent a really loud message last year, like, yo, I'm still that dude, yeah. <laughs> and we still yeah. kind of need to focus on making sure I can get off. And they got players that fit them instead of good players who may not fit next to them. You've written books about Stephen Curry, uh, and, and yet, yet it still sounds like you're a little surprised maybe that, that he's – this good for this long. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think he looks as good as ever because I just think he's he's stronger. He understands how to play more. Um, I, he just he looks fantastic. That, to me, that's the surprising part is that he looks better. You thought at some point 
you know, he would just kind of plateau, just be the same level of like great for like the next four years, right? Until he starts tapering off. But he's gotten better. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of that has to do with his, his game is below the rim, right? He doesn't spend so much of his time like leaping and exploding. So that type of athleticism hasn't really, you know, if it, when it dissipates, it doesn't bother Steph, right? But he has gotten stronger. He, his endurance is incredible. He keeps himself in great shape. So he has been able to, to progress as a player. So you add like the physical enhancements with the fact that he's seen everything <laughs> and he's now the smartest player he's ever been. It really starts adding up into a, into a better player. So that that to me is the part that's like, yo, dude, you're still getting better. <laughs> like you're 33 years old and you're still getting better. To me, that's crazy because you're right. He looks better. He looks more in control of what he wants to do on the court. He looks more sure of himself and like he's shedding defenders like way easier than he used to. He's bouncing guys off of him because he's 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 much stronger. So to me, it's not that he's good. It's that he's getting better. That's kind of been a stunner. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is the the it just when you watch the Warriors play, just watching how you know the other team when you know Steph has the ball, it's 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 that gravity that he has. You know, it, it just sucks defenders to him. And you know, I I think the one of the most devastating plays in the league is when Steph sets a screen. Because then you can see all the wheels turning. Well, I can't leave him, you know. But this guy's wide open. You know, it's like this. You could just watch the decision process go, and that's you know, for guys like Draymond, you know, Juan Toscano Anderson's getting that a little bit. You know, he's he reads that pretty well. Clay Thompson obviously reads it, you know, outstanding when he comes back. But but just watching that gravity that he has, I mean, it's really remarkable. And I don't think we'll see something like that ever again. It's it's crazy. It's it's even more than gravity. It's like a, a discombobulation, right? Like it's like he's putting sugar in the defense's tank. Not not just because he draws defenders, but he just scatters their whole brain, right? Right. <laughs> they don't know what to do in that in that way. And good defenders end up, you know, Steph just makes you violate what you understand about defense, and he makes you do the opposite. Um, and we watched it with Toronto. Like they're running a box of one on Steph, and everybody's getting wide open looks. I mean, wide open looks, and they're like, "Yo, we're just gonna stick with this box of one." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like Nurse is out of his mind. Like every time they got close to making a run, Otto Porter or Wiggins or Jordan Poole would hit an uncontested three, and it's because they're paying so much attention to Steph. So here's Nick Nurse, like this really good coach who came up with this scheme for Steph. Is like so caught up on Steph that he's not even seeing that. Yo, you're giving some really good shooters <laughs> wide open threes, trying to trying to keep Steph from going. It, it's that level of like warping reality that Steph does. You just don't know what to do. You don't know whether to follow him or do what you normally would do, or switch, or to drop back on the screen or go over the screen. You, you just he just has a way of messing up how you think about basketball. And it's only the players who played against him a whole lot who kind of have an even an equilibrium about guarding him. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because I made the point that, that I think two of the guys that guard him as, as good as anybody can 
are Van Vliet and Holiday and uh, Drew Holiday of Milwaukee. And one of the reasons is they understand, okay, I'm just not leaving him. I'm just going to stick with him. It doesn't matter if he gets a screen. I'm staying with him the whole time. And and so, um, you know, they basically it's it's kind of like when Robin would, you know, uh, not play defense to get rebounds, right? You know, it's, it's kind of that that kind of idea. You know, it's like okay, I don't care what happens else, but I'm going to be with this guy. You know, there there was one play in Toronto where where Van Vliet is face guarding Steph, and Steph sets a screen. And Wiggins is wide open back door, and he gets a layup, and Van Vliet never even turns around. <laughs> he doesn't see the, he's like, forget the ball, forget the fact that this dude is a layup. He just stays on step. Like, and, you know, it, ta- it takes a level of uh, psychological strength to violate all sensibilities and focus on that task. His, his focus is crazy because there was a, literally a layup happening behind him. And he was like, yeah, but my job is to watch Steph. And I admire that about Fred VanVleet. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, most guys, will, will their head will turn, and that's when Steph really gets crazy. You know, that's when he relocates, and all of a sudden there's a wide-open three because all the guy did was turn his head for a second. And um, but wh- one you know more. who else guards him pretty well? You know who else guards him pretty well? Who's that? Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a driveway. That's a driveway thing, you know. <laughs> you know, you always guard the guy. You know, the, the guys who play in the driveway, driveway, I think, are are the guys that the uh, that uh, the you end up guarding best. You know, all their moves. So, all of them. Yep. Um, one more on step four. We'll move on because uh, I, I want I want to hear your take on this. Uh, do you think that the he gets underrated because people don't realize because of the joy he shows because he's such a, a nice guy that people underrate his competitive nature? I think those are kind of like, old. I think less so than before. Uh, you know, I, I do think there's a part of people, or I, there's a part of stuff people witness. Um, like he doesn't do the like domineering kind of angry screaming. You know, he doesn't do the Russell Westbrook, but he will like, go for that dagger three, right? He will turn around on you. Like, he will show you up. And that, I think people are learning, that's his, that's his competitiveness playing out, right? When Steph has you down, <laughs> he is going for the kill. He is trying to destroy you. I, I think people have come to appreciate that about him. I think he gets underrated because we just can't shake this idea of dominance from a six foot three guard, right? So it's like as much as so since he can't just basically take the ball and just start overpowering people, we you know, you underrate his ability to kind of control games and take over games where he just does it a different way. But, you know, I think the only the only trick not in his bag is games on the line, you know how it is one on one type game, you go one on one, it's just you and a guy gonna put his shoulder down and get to a spot. And I think other guys can do that. Where Steph's is a little bit different. He's going to get to a spot in a different way, and it's not so dominating. So I do think he gets underrated that way. But I think people know he's a killer who, <laughs> if you let your guard down, he's going to destroy you. And that's a that's a different level of competitiveness. Yeah, um, Marcus. Uh, let's 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 move to to Draymond and and um, I, I, I again I think he gets he, people don't I don't think people really understand how smart he is on the on the basketball floor. He's just he is he he under he and especially when he's out there with Andre and you got two guys understanding 
you know they 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 know if they make one pass it's going to lead to a pass from that player to a, to get a a bucket they know about angles and and they know personnel um you know, uh, I'm 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 amazed at at, at Draymond sometimes. I just uh, you know, and and the other thing I'm amazed at, and this this one always like I just kind of shake my head, and I see it. You'll see it every game. Some young guard will get a switch, and he gets Draymond on him. Goes, oh, well, I'm going to take this guy off the dribble, right? You know, <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're playing the other team's best defensive player, one of the best defensive players in in this era. Move move the ball. <laughs> but nope, they try to go one on one, and Draymond, you know, roofs him, and then leads to a fast break. I, I'm amazed that that still happens. It's it's crazy. Well, you, well, you know, Tim. Part of it is people just don't care about defense. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like they just want to see the ball go in. They want to see shooting. And there's a there's definitely a level of chess to defense. Um, and if you're if you're paying close attention and you know what's happening. You could see Draymond moving pieces all over the floor, right? You you could literally see him taking a step out of the way to make a player think a lane is open to bait him into driving, so he can contest, right? He knows he's going to be there. It's like little stuff like that he's doing. How he just tricks you into thinking one way, but the whole time he's two steps ahead. It's he's a marvel in his combination of intellect and toughness. Uh, they they kind of are co- colliding thoughts, right? He's he's the the foam at the mouth, physical tough guy, right? Who's like scrappy and doing a lot of like contact and super physical brute, if you will. Yeah. And then he's like the smartest dude on the floor. <laughs> so these these two attributes kind of compete with each other, but actually in Draymond they 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 are the perfect unison because he's smart enough to bait you into thinking you have an opening but he's like tough enough and like you know energetic enough and hungry enough to go contest the shot or go get the rebound right like he's he's that physical so he's smart enough to make the play happen to see the play and then aggressive and physical and tough enough to like go get it and that combination is just it's crazy to watch I can only imagine what Bill Russell was like because to me like just the way people talk about him, I bet he was this way. Like the the sense of it all. When you hear people say he will block the shot and make sure it stays in bounds to start to break, right? Right. The way the ability to physically impose your way in the game, but also think it through, to me is is why Draymond is special and kind of an ode to the legends, I imagine. Yeah, you know it, it it is, and I think that both Draymond and Russell have have this encounter where I think they'll see a move in the first quarter by the other team, and they put it in the back of their brain, and they wait for it. And you know, when the game's on the line, you know, and then they disrupt that play, whether it be from a block. I've even had Draymond tell me he'll let a dude get to this spot. You know, he'll make him think like he he got that move right. Like, all right, he can go, he can hit the shot, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna let him lean that way. So later on, he feels comfortable, and I can take it from him, right? Like that kind of foresight, where he's like, "This, this is this is chess. It ain't checkers." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I I think you know I would love to see. Uh, there's an old black and white movie called The Seventh Seal, right? And this knight returns. It's a Scandinavian movie. I think Max von Sydow's in it, and he plays chess against the Grim Reaper, right? So it's a, it's a really a, a very philosophical movie. I'd like to see Draymond in that role, you know, where he's 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 playing chess against the Grim Reaper, talking trash the whole time, you know. 
<laughs> you can't move that night oh, there. You know he would be talking. You know he would be talking. It's a literal death, right? <laughs> death. <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> that would definitely happen. Oh man. So uh, since we you know we've been talking about the Warriors and they're off to this great start, and it's kind of like the second chapter of their dynasty. You have a new book out, and it's called what Dynasties? Correct. Yes, sir. And Dynasties, the ten goat teams that changed the NBA forever. Ah, uh, you can get the subtitle already at the at your fingertips. <laughs> uh, that is marketing, my friend. That's great. Uh, so, so tell me, what was your, you know, tell tell me a little bit about the book and 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 uh, the selection process. How did you go about, you know, paring down, you know, the the dynasties? Do you, you think had an impact on the ones that maybe were just really good? So, I mean, this this was kind of born of, remember when the Warriors were on top and everybody was talking about how bad they were for basketball? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is bad for the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's, bad, uh, it's, but, it's bad to have kids learn how to dribble and shoot. That's a horrible thing. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. It's bad that all these people who don't care about basketball suddenly have a reason to pay attention, right? Like, uh, but, but the truth is, the truth that I knew is that the NBA has always been about dynasties, right? And, and the reason the NBA is what it is is because of the, these teams that emerge is so great with with these players who end up being so great that they just captivate they they take over and they elevate the nba they also do things like evolve the game right (laughs) they do something so well that now everybody mimic it and the game evolves because of it so this book is essentially a look at nba history through the dynasties beginning with the first one the minneapolis lakers all the way up through the Warriors, but looking at how they, like how they blew up, how they changed the game, who were their central figures, you know, things of that matter. So through this process of looking at these dynasties, uh, what I did was, I mean, some of them were obvious, right? You know, the Minneapolis Lakers, the Russell Celtics, to me, like the Bird, Magic and Bird, you know, respective dynasties were obvious. The George Bulls were obvious. The Warriors were obvious. To me, some of the question marks, uh, you know, I guess you could argue the Pistons, the Houston Rockets, the Miami Heat, right? Some of those teams. To me, I leaned on the impact that they had, like, on the game, on society and culture, right? I, I kind of leaned on that, you know. The, the Rockets won back-to-back, and so did the Pistons, right? But we always talk about the Pistons, right? They've kind of they they've etched themselves into our psyche as a dynasty, and also they had to beat <laughs> they had to beat some legendary teams on the way, right? Whereas the Rockets did theirs while Jordan was kind of out. So, but to me, that is what makes the NBA unique. That's what makes them special. Are teams like the Bad Boy Pistons that play a certain way? that have a certain type of greatness that ingrain themselves into the culture of basketball and in, in, in the culture of society and become sort of this reference point. Uh, to me, that was important. Uh, like like you said with the Warriors, right? The Warriors made shooting cool again, right? <laughs> now we see an NBA Absolutely. that literally has changed because of their dynasty. So to be able to do that, uh, to me, I, I gave weight to that. I gave a lot of weight to that. There are some great teams that, you know, probably could have made the cut. One of my favorites that I fell in love with was the 76ers, 
uh, the poor 76ers, man, they were so good. Like the, the Dr. J and, and Moses Malone and, and Tony, right. And I mean, they had such a squad and they, they would either lose to the Celtics or to the Lakers. And right. if one or two of those things changed, like just, I mean, they were so close. We would talk about the different, but because they didn't, because it was against Magic, because it was against Bird, they kind of get forgotten about. But and we don't really appreciate how good they were. But I, I fell in love with the with those seventy sixers and the Clyde, the Clyde Frazier Knicks. I didn't know anything about them, but Clyde Frazier was was the absolute man, and I I really think we've done him a disservice by not talking about how good Clyde Frazier was. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you look at his performance in 1970, the Game 7. Everybody talks about the Game about, 7, yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. It's unbelievable. Everybody talks about Willis Reed coming back. Frazier put on a clinic that day. I mean, his numbers that, were off That the was chart. his game. Yeah. That was his game. That wasn't the Willis Reed game. That was the Clyde Frazier game. And you just don't you just don't know that. Uh, that that to me was one of the joys of of writing this book because you do realize how much we don't you know, value our history. I do think the NBA could do a better job of promoting the history and making sure that's a, a common part of the game, similar to how baseball does it, because there's some great history. And we spend a lot of time comparing. And in that process of comparing, we we just have a way of tearing down the side that we're not for, right? Like, which oh, is yeah. a weird thing, maybe brought on by social media. Who knows? But if you compare Jordan, you compare LeBron. If you prefer Jordan, you got to destroy LeBron, right? Or if you prefer LeBron, you got to discredit Jordan. And we do a lot of that in the conversation. But to me, writing this book was hopefully promoting more of an appreciation, like, and and showing how these dynasties are linked, how these great eras and these great teams are more stacked upon each other uh, and to me it's just a more beneficial conversation to see how the russell celtics created the modern style of play that end up becoming the warriors instead of you know discrediting the celtics because bob Cousy dribbled with his forearms yeah you know i mean it, it in the uh what people don't realize about the Celtics is that they were the modern fast break basketball team. They wore teams down. Yes, they wore. I had no teams idea down. about that. Either. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they they played at a pace that was remarkable. So for their for and their it was time before their time. Yeah, yeah it was before their time. Uh, and that's part of and they they essentially invented this idea of of transition. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, yo, we get to stop. We got this great defensive guy in the back. Let's get the stop and let's go. Exactly. Which was revolutionary at the time, and it, they didn't start it per se, but they popularized it. I mean, a lot of the black leagues, that's how they played, was super fast like that. But you start seeing Bill Russell and Sam Jones and some people from that ilk, and our back spotting that and wanting that speed on his team and saying, let's do it. Like they made it a part of modern basketball. So, and I don't think I don't think people know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> like I didn't know that they they pioneered that and and made it like the Celtics fast break was the thing. I didn't know that. We always thought it was magic, like Showtime did it, but it was even before. Yeah. And I, I just feel like, but if if you if you're a fan of basketball, these are some elements that you should know, and it puts everything in the context, and it just helps you appreciate 
in the whole game, in the history of the game. I make it a point every year when we go to Houston, and I make it a point to to say hello to Purvis Short. He works for the Player Association. He's always there when the Warriors come to Houston. And I make it a point every year, Marcus, to go to, like, you know, a rookie or uh, a guy that's maybe his first year on the Warriors, and I point out Purvis. I said, that guy averaged 28 a night. And they all go, what? You know, and I said, I'll show them. I'll show them here. That's his numbers. That's how good this guy was, right? They have no idea who he is. And, um, you know, there's so many, so many. He had a crazy five year stretch. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and didn't make an all star team. I mean, he got got me crazy. Um, you know, the, the, there's so many guys. Like, you know, we're doing a 75 year, 75 stars on the radio side this year, and uh, like I just did one on Joe Folks. And what struck me about Joe Folks is he's the first guy to lead the league in scoring the first two years, and, and he averaged over 20 a night. And when most guys were averaging about eight points a night, right? He had 63 points in a game in like you know the might have been the early 50s that record stood for a decade until Elgin Baylor broke it right i mean he was this guy folks was ahead of his time he was a gunner he got his shots up jumping joe baby yeah but they he called got, him you know, jumping joe cuz he jumped on his shot which was yeah, apparently yeah that was revolutionary a, that was a, there was a new thing that's a new thing the jump shot was not you know everybody was taking set shots back then so uh, he was ahead of his time and and if you research basketball you're going to find guys like that Connie Hawkins was ahead of his time. He was Dr. J before Dr. J. And man, see that's what I'm talking about, Tim. Yeah. When you you got you got you got LeBron. There's no LeBron or let's say Kobe because that's the more apt comparison. There's no Kobe without Jordan. There's no Jordan without Dr. J. And there's no Dr. J without Connie Hawkins. Yeah. We should know this. Yeah. Connie Hawkins is, was a great player who got caught up in a scandal that was not of his ilk. He didn't really do anything. and they, But they convicted him of, of you know, uh, basically taking money for, for bribes in college basketball, which was more uh, prevalent than, than I think we all want to admit back in the day. But the so he didn't get chance to play in the NBA until later in, in his career. But even then, there was one year. He was the star on the Phoenix Suns. This was one of the very good teams that, that nobody remembers. The Suns had Paul Silas and, and Connie Hawkins up front with Gail Goodrich and you know Dick Van Arsdale, all these guys. And they had the Lakers of West, Baylor, and Chamberlain down three games to one. And, of course, the, the, that team came back and won all three. But they still had them on the ropes, right? They were good enough to have them on the ropes. Oh, yeah. And uh, But, yeah, there, there's so many things. Like I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the Pistons because what people don't, they look at it, oh, they won two championships. Well, they were right there for like five years. You know, they lost one series to Boston they shouldn't have lost. They, uh, they lost to the Lakers in the finals the year before they won because Isaiah rolled an ankle and was ineffective in Game 7 after an unbelievable performance in Game 6 on a bad ankle. If you ever want to watch a guy gut through an injury, oh, watch that man, one. Yes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> back, so. back to Connie a little bit. He, yeah. he, remember, he at 25 years old, he he got a start in the ABA and averaged like 26 in his first, in his first year. And the, like the ABA was, was hugely vital to the development and growth of basketball. Because like all that show and all the stuff we're talking about, transition and fun, all that was the ABA. The NBA was kind of the rigid, kind of boring, half-court, fundamental set. And, and the Celtics were a bit of a violation of that. But 
you know, Connie Hawkins was getting it done in the ABA, right? And Dr. J was getting it done in the ABA. And, and the merger really kind of unified basketball and these two ideological thoughts about how basketball should be played. So that merger was huge. But a lot of the the pre-Jordan era, the pre-Bird era, we just don't know about. So we just don't have an appreciation for this guy. But they called him Hawk, not just because his last name was Hawkins, but because that dude used to fly. Yeah, he used to soar. eight, and he would bang it, yeah. <laughs> If you ever now, when when you're buying a, a book for the basketball fan in your house, and you buy Dynasties written by Marcus Thompson, I would also encourage you to go online. It's out of print, so you have to go like to eBay or maybe Amazon and find the book called Foul. And I think it was written by a guy, I believe, named Bob Wolf, and it's a story of Connie Hawkins. It's really, really good. And uh, I have my tattered copy here somewhere in my office. And uh, you'll learn about Connie Hawkins and, and just how good he was. So, uh, Marcus, before I let you go, let's, let's circle back to the dubs for a moment. And I, I can't wait to read your book. It sounds like it's, it's going to be really cool uh, to get my hands on it. Um, let's, uh, you know, Clay Thompson hasn't played yet. James Wiseman hasn't played yet. Uh, right. You know, uh, I was kidding Steve Kerr. I said, you got, you got a real problem on your hands here, man. You got to find minutes for all these guys. You know, it's, it's, he goes, yeah, it's a really good problem to have. But, uh, you know, I'm not really worried all that much about Clay because I think Clay will just fit in. He's Clay. He, that's what's what he does. He just kind of gets in, gets shots up. You know, when, you know, the Warriors got Kevin Durant, they said, are you worried about your scoring? He goes, no. <laughs> You know, he's going to, you know. Like, I'm not changing nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not worried that much about him. I think he's going to be fine, you know, at whatever level he's he can get to. But, you know, the James Wiseman thing I think is, is going to be interesting because I think he has to, you know, they kind of have to bring him along. And they have the, the luxury, I guess, of bring him along at his own pace. But, you know, he has to kind of learn how to play alongside Steph. And, and I think – uh, you know, on the offensive end, I think defensive he'll be fine. But on the offensive end, he's got to learn how to, to fit in there. And that's going to be an education for him. I just think they need to just simplify it. And, and I don't think he has a problem with it. We saw we saw the opportunities when it was just a basic pick and roll. And he's just got to dive and finish. Uh, if, if, if that's kind of the gist of it, I, I, think would, I think he'll be fine. To me, the issue is when he's got the ball isolated, 20 feet from the basket, right? Or they try to post them up. And that's the part where it's got to be a little advanced. And if you're going to do that, you got to be able to find Steph out of that, <laughs> right? If right. you're posting up, it can't just be, yo, I'm going to get a bucket. It's like I'm posting up to draw the defense to kick it to Steph and Clay. But I do think when he's just a dive man in the pick and roll or when he's in the dunker spot uh, along the baseline or even in transition, you like him, what, what he can bring. I think if that's what he can do, to at least to start, to me that that's a simple version that I think he can handle. And then add on that what he'll do on the defensive end, I think I think he'll be fine. We've seen it with uh, Jonathan Kaminga, a very basic, simple, do these three or four things, <laughs> that's it, and you get good at those, and then we'll add to your plate. But if he can do that, imagine now Steph is driving or Draymond's driving, and that's a seven-foot-two big man who can jump who's finishing at the rim. Like, that's a game-changer. We've seen, you know, as great as Kevon Looney can be, he's pump-faking a lot of those away, right, (laughs) just because he doesn't have the finishing ability. When that's Wiseman, those are dunks, right? That's the vertical spacing that – 
that they don't have so much that Gary Payton II looks like he could play center for them, right? Like his ability oh, to get up just they? changes the dynamic, yeah. right? So yeah. now you add a seven foot two who could jump, you're a seven foot two guy who could jump. That that's just another element. I think he'll be dynamic as long as they keep it simple for him, and he's not trying to show everybody, y'all, the number two pick. Let me get these buckets from my back to the basket. You know, the Warriors are the only team in the league that can get away with a six four guy in the dunker spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and doing pretty well. Yeah, doing right? really well. I tell you, um, that that kid, that kid is amazing. I mean, uh, I, I I just think he he gets a deflection or a steal like the first thirty seconds he's on the floor. It's crazy. It's like on cue, right? It's yeah, like he can he can just decide I'm going to take the ball now and go and take it. It just feels that way a lot, and that was. That that is going to come in handy. Can you imagine him in a playoff series oh. when you got when he's got three or four games to figure out a guy? Like he's, oh. he's going to be a problem. It, what a weapon to just throw out a guy, right? Like, all right, now you got to deal with GP two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you figured out Wiggins. All right, figure out this guy, and, and now he's got three games of film on you. Like that's that's an incredible weapon to have. It really is. It reminds me of when uh, I asked Steve Smith. One time, when the Warriors had Mookie Blaylock, and, and and things haven't gone well for Mookie after basketball, and we wish him the best. But the, the I asked Steve Smith, "What's what's uh, give me something on Mookie? What's unique about Mookie?" And he goes, "He told me he goes, he goes, Mookie's the only guy I know that that has has predicted that he was going to get a steal on this guy the next time down the floor. Most guys I'll talk to, they say, oh, I'm going to get a bucket next time I get the ball. Mookie would say, I'm going to pick this guy next time he comes down the floor, and he would do it. He would just like you know say, okay, I got a steal coming. Because he would size the guy up, know his move, and then boom, you know, the ball would be gone. It was like crazy. So We call that, when I grew up, we call that cookies. He's taking someone <laughs> cookies. Uh, and uh, uh, Gary Payton II is definitely a cookie monster. He is taking cookies out there. When he he said he told me this, and I, I wrote it for a piece of stuff. Now he said, like he feels like he won when the when the guy who brings up the ball decides he's not bringing the ball up anymore. Yeah, <laughs> when he yeah. passes the ball away, he's like, "Yo, you you bring it up." He's like, "All right, that's when I got him." <laughs> when you don't want to dribble around him. Oh, and absolutely. I wouldn't do it. It's a bad. It's a bad. It's a bad advice to dribble around Gary Payton second. Eventually, he's got to take it. Yeah, that 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 was that was uh, my move at the park when I was playing a guy that I knew was light years better than me. <laughs> it was like I go to my brother, "Here, you bring the ball." <laughs> You got this right. I'm gonna go yeah. spot up over here in the yeah. corner. <laughs> I'm gonna go line up here on the wing, and you know, but maybe I'll get open for you. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not gonna get picked in front of all these people. <laughs> right? So. Exactly. That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because then you hear you hear that. Oh, go go through the, everybody watching, and they're like, oh no. <laughs> That's what he's looking to do, though. He's looking to take the ball and embarrass you, and then he's and then he's gonna like punctuate it with some like crazy dunk on the other end. So the whole highlight makes the highlight, right? It's, it's yeah. the pick and the dunk, right? It's not just the dunk, right? So th- there's definitely repercussions from playing around with the ball in front of GP2. Uh, the book is called Dynasties, and it's by Marcus Thompson, so you know it's good. You know it's well-researched and well-written. I encourage you all to uh, put it underneath your Christmas tree this holiday season. Uh, Marcus, thank you so much for your your time. I'll, as you you know, I love talking hoop with you. I could talk for hours with you and 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 learn as much as I can give. Um, hey, uh, take care of yourself. My best to you and your family. 
I know you got a, a young lady that's playing a little ball. That's kind of cool. Uh, so uh, happy holidays and, and happy Thanksgiving to the Thompsons. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you anytime. Pretty soon here, we'll be back on the road again. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> we'll be back in the playoffs again. So it'll, it'll be great to, to resume old times. Absolutely. Wow. Time flies with Marcus Thompson here on the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy. Thanks for uh, checking us out. Listen to us and encourage your friends to, to listen to us wherever uh, they get their podcast. And, of course, you can go back and hear some of our conversations, including a great one with Jordan Poole. Uh, preseason talking about his year and also Gary Payton the second we caught up with him when the Warriors were in Sacramento and I enjoyed that conversation immensely just a couple of uh, the the tidbits if you will on this Warriors podcast so please go back and listen from the very start and if you have suggestions for the Warriors podcast to hit me up on Twitter at Warriors Vox Warriors V-O-X always happy to interact with the fans there I also want to remind you that we're celebrating 75 years of Warriors basketball this year and we recently celebrated one of the greatest moments not only in Warriors history but in NBA history let's look back right now on 75 years 75 stars Sleepy Floyd. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Tonight, we look at the career of one Eric Sleepy Floyd. The young man from Gastonia, North Carolina, would go to Georgetown, but they would end up losing in the NCAA title game to North Carolina, losing on a Michael Jordan jump shot. He was drafted by New Jersey, but traded in the middle of his rookie season in 1983 to the Golden State Warriors in the Michael Ray Richardson deal. His zenith of his Warriors career was in the 1986-87 campaign when he was named an All-Star, and he would go on to set the Warriors' record for assists in the season with 848. He also led the Warriors to the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. And while Sleepy was a facilitator by nature... I think I just got to a point where, you know, I was the point guard at that time. So as a point guard, your your main focus is making sure the guys are in position to score and you're a facilitator. Even though I could score the ball, my main role was to get the ball to Joe Barry Carroll and Purvis Short and, and keep guys happy, Terry Teagle. But at that time, I just... You know, I wanted to let Michael Cooper know that if I wanted to uh, be that kind of player, I could. And I think just that competitive nature came out. We were losing. So I just put it all in, and, and, and one thing led to another, and just got in a zone and, you know, made history that night. May 10th, 1987. With the Warriors facing elimination at the hands of Los Angeles, Sleepy was alert, ambitious, and outrageous. Four minutes in this quarter. What a quarter, 105-103, bad pass, right to Larry, on the pass by Cooper, Floyd right side, drives over Green, up again, Sleepy Floyd scores again, Sleepy Floyd is Superman, and we haven't even played four minutes of this quarter. 51 points, and NBA records 29 points in the fourth quarter and 39 for the half. In the Warriors' record books, he's in the top 20 in assists, steals, three-point percentage, and free-throw percentage. Floyd would go on to play 13 seasons in the NBA, including seven years where he played all 82 games. From 1984 through 1987, he didn't miss a game, ending up with 306 consecutive games played. 75 years, 75 stars. Eric Sleepy Floyd. 
been 75 years, 75 stars. All right, my thanks to Marcus Thompson here on the Warriors podcast. Also, James Kincaid for slapping this together. R.C. Davis is our senior radio producer, and he is the guru of all things audio in the Warriors empire. Hi, Tim Roy. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hope you and yours have a great holiday. We'll, we'll catch up with you next week with another edition of the Warriors podcast, but please enjoy uh, the weekend. Enjoy Thursday, and you know, take a moment to to uh, say thanks for what we all have here and what we hopefully will have coming out of this pandemic. So, again, thanks for listening. Happy holidays, and thank you for checking out the Warriors podcast.